Hey, DJ, guess what? What? We got a sponsor. A sponsor? Like, yeah. Like a cool sponsor? Yeah, a cool sponsor. I mean, we've been sponsoring them, or they've, well, we've been sponsoring. They've been sponsoring us, you know, for like um, several months now. I would think you would know. It's Tennessee Grab Beer Magazine. You know it. I know it. Yeah. Um, so so they, um, Tennessee Craft Beer Magazine is pretty awesome. Um, you know, you can find them online at tncraftbeermag.com. And there you'll find digital copies of their magazine, along with a state, statewide brewery map, events, calendar, and you can even subscribe to their print edition right there online. It's like the newspaper for beer. It is the newspaper for beer. That's why it's the Tennessee Craft, Craft beer, beer Magazine. So yeah, find them online at tncraftbeermag.com. All right. Hey, guys. It's Chris Hill. This is DJ Loop. And um, we are here today with Scotty Hunter from Urban Artifacts. Scotty, thank you for joining us. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, we're, um, we're excited to see more Cincinnati beer coming our way. So, Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, it, it was funny when we started distributing down here a year ago now. It was us. I think Rivertown was in the market. And then you know a few months ago, Madtree Mad started distributing here. So, uh, you know. A lot of people were saying, oh, yeah, we know, we know Cincinnati. That's Urban Artifact, right? Yeah. Madtree doesn't usually get that. Um, we don't <laughs> normally lead the market for them. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. I mean, Madtree did just make some good beers. It's a good representation of Cincinnati. I've, I've liked everything that they've had in the market. And it's kind of cool that you guys are here and that, and, and, and just to kind of broad the spectrum of beers here in Knoxville. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. It's a, it's a market that is really booming now, especially with the change in legislation, you know, beginning of last year, mm-hmm. um, was just so restrictive on craft beer in Tennessee. So that's, that's done over. And I think it, everybody's benefiting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely been freeing. And I mean, DJ and I have definitely seen a lot of changes as a result of, um, or a lot of good improvements, even in the local beer, just as a result of those, those law changes. So that's cool. So, so tell us a little bit, um, Scotty, about your history with urban artifact and then, also, I'd love to learn a little bit more about Urban Artifact, other than they make really good beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, so I'm one of the owners, founders, partners, uh, three of us, myself, uh, Scott Hand, so that's why I go by Scotty. Uh, he's, the, he's the elder of the group. I'm the, the younger one uh, by a couple years. And then Brett Coleman-Baker, uh, he handles all brewing operations. I handle sales. That's why you guys are talking to me. I'm down here uh, for Knox Craft Beer Week and uh, the Brewfest on Saturday. Um, so, you know, I've been there since the beginning. We've, we've owned our property for coming up on four years now, been in operation for just about three. Um, we're in a, we bought an old church, rectory, and gymnasium. So we've got this, this gorgeous building, gorgeous property, um, little campus. It's not Sierra Nevada like me and DJ were talking about earlier. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, our, it's our very miniature version of that. Um, yeah. So we got our tap room in the lower level of the church. 
We got our brewing operations in the gymnasium to the north of that. Uh, we hold wedding receptions uh, upstairs in the sanctuary space. Wow. We've got tenants in the rectory building that's on the property, uh, pizza kitchen that's going in there. So we got a few things happening. That's exciting. Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess I should say we make exclusively sour beer. Yeah. So that's, that's all we do. Um, we've done, that's all we've done since the start. And uh, it's really helped us carve out a name for ourselves in the market. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, as someone who has slowly gotten into sour beer, I can tell you I've really enjoyed, um, you know, exploring all the beers that are out there. Um, but really, really enjoyed seeing what new things come to market. And it's nice to know that people like you exist that have that, that space just for the sour beers, because a lot of people do them as one-offs, and they don't take the time to really craft them the way that they should. And so you get, in my opinion, a lot of times a subpar product when, when that happens, or people that put out a sour because it's a happy accident. Yeah, those, <laughs> those are usually not the best ones. Um, and it's a, different, it's a different process, and you know, you've got to understand different techniques. So you know, it, having some of that expertise really helps, just like you know, the best people to make you know, IPAs or hazy IPAs you know, there's folks that that's essentially all they do. Maybe they do a little bit here and there, but yeah. that's what they do, and they get good at it. Yeah, yeah that's cool. When you, when you thought the business plan out for Urban Artifact and stuff, like, how did you, like, go about thinking how we're going to make a sour approachable? Like, what I'm drinking right now, um, the Pell, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 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 it's a tart beer, but it's, it's super approachable. Yeah. And you do it very, you guys do it very well. How, how did you guys think, okay, we're going to make a beer that's unique and different but approachable? You know, it, it really, things really kind of changed a little bit. It's like every business plan, right? You start off with, okay, this is what we're going to do. Here's the basic concept. Here's what we think is going to work within that. But ultimately, you know, we have some things that stayed with us from opening till now. So Finn... You know, the tar pail that we're talking about, that was one of our, you know, intended flagships. It's remained that way, but it's changed. You know, we actually, um, based on reception from the market, we lowered, or we, yeah, we lowered the acidity, increased the pH on that. So it is a little bit, a lot more approachable than it used to be. It, it was previously more in line with, like, our gozas, as far as, like, acidity or tartness. And it's just, it was just really, okay, we know what we want to do, and then let's listen to what the market tells us. So, um a good example of that is our gozas. So we started off with just a traditional plain goza. And we thought, you know, based on like what Westbrook was doing with their goza, that, you know, craft beer was ready for that, especially in that area where nobody was doing it. People are going to love this because we love it. And people didn't respond. I mean, that beer did not move well at all. So that's when we started adding fruit to our gozas and started, we had always intended to do that as a seasonal thing. And those did so well that we just scrapped the original goes entirely and said, you know, this, it's not what people want. It's just, it's a, it can work in very small pockets, but for what we were trying to do and base our brewery on, it just wasn't something that made sense for us. And that, and, and I think that's a very good point because I think listening to your, your customer is always really important with any business that you're in. And um, it's cool that you've been, that, that you all are doing that. You're keeping your ear to the ground and paying attention. I know some people will be like, well, we just do goes that way if people don't like it. We're just going to keep it. <laughs> but, yeah, and that's yeah. not to say that you should take all feedback and try to implement everything that people say. Sure. Because I'm like you know, the Henry Ford quote that 
you know, if I would have listened to, to people, I would have just built a faster horse. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's something like that. It's like, yeah, you listen to, you know, feedback and then produce something that maybe they don't expect, but will, will fill, that, fill that need. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. How did you decide to start doing Urban Artifact? As one of the founders, like, when did the idea come about and how did all that start? Yeah, I, you know, I, I would say it really from the very beginning where it, like, first cropped up would be um, Brett and myself went to school at Ohio University in Athens, which is where Jackie O's is. Mm -hmm. Most people, uh, if you're really into craft beer, know Jackie O's, at least for the barrel-aged style, stuff like that. Um, and we started homebrewing. Uh, we started a homebrew club there at OU. It's actually still going on to this day. It's still an active club with, tied into the university. Um, and found our love for craft beer. So from that, you know, we talked after college, after graduated, hey, what do we want to do? Um, you know, we've talked, we talked about doing a distillery. We talked about maybe just doing lagers. We talked about a few different things. And then Brett developed the modified sour mash that we use to this day um, to produce the beers that we do. And once we had that, we know, okay, we can do this brewery sour only because otherwise we were looking at, you know, doing barrel-aged sours like the brewery or uh, rare barrel and we didn't really necessarily have a grasp on how we can make that work financially as far as you know filling a bunch buying making making or buying a bunch of beer filling barrels aging them and basically having to have working capital for at least a year if not more yeah um, before we were actually bringing any income in so that was our way to fund barrel program and and grow the brewery cool so so where's the barrel program at today then it's about 100 oak barrels, which nice. it's not huge, but it's solid. Um, you know, we just, we're just in the process of expanding our capacity from stainless. So we're adding, we just added two 120 barrel fermenters, effectively doubling our capacity. They are online as of today, I believe. Nice. <laughs> yeah, as long as things still went well. Uh, so we, we'll be pushing beer into them tomorrow. And then from there, we'll just be able to keep adding oak. We've got... Um, stuff lined up. We have kind of three main larger scale releases that we plan out. Um, one for our anniversary, one for a uh, beer and music festival we have called Bewilderfest in August, mm. and then we do one with kind of Thanksgiving uh, food themed called an Epicurean is, our, is the line, mm. and that's in November. And so we, we just kind of plan everything based off that and, and roll that way. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so, so when you, when you do barrel aging, you say you've got oak barrels. Are you who are you getting those through? Or is it a specific like distillery that you'd like to purchase through, or how are you doing that? Well, I mean, for us, what's really important is having neutral oak. You know, we're not necessarily looking to get um, flavors such as like a bourbon barrel characteristic mm. um, because we are so close to Kentucky. Um, oftentimes we'll just drive down to Louisville. There's a couple different, um, do they make bourbon in Kentucky? They, they make a little they, bit of bourbon. They, just a little bit. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't, not not much that, around Louisville though. I, I, I didn't know. I, was, I didn't know if there was bourbon in Kentucky or not. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. So we can drive down there. It's an hour and a half. We pick up, pick up a bunch of oak barrels. Um, we buy barrels from other breweries after they, after they burn barrel aged stuff. We'll buy, buy wine barrels. Um, we're not we're not super picky necessarily because again we're not trying to get that spirit flavor from them. 
So that's so that's neat. So you're doing um, you're doing a barrel age program then, and you're you're doing all these sours. What um, where do you, where do you see the brewery going? It sounds like you're launching some new stuff today, but I mean, what's what's beyond that? Yeah, I mean, for us right now, it's it's filling out stainless capacity while growing that barrel program at a rate that we can kind of manage. Um, it's so all of our. I guess I should take a step back and say that. All of our barrel-aged sour beers are cultures that we have caught ourselves. Okay, we didn't buy, we didn't go to White Labs or Omega and buy, you know, standard lacto, Brett, what have you. Um, which means it took a lot longer, okay, for us to catch these cultures, develop them, find the ones that are right, and then blend and and just build that build that out. So it took a solid two years to go from. You know, opening the brewery and getting the first oaks and catching that those microbes to a product that we were happy with. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a route most breweries take. So normally you'll see breweries if they start like a sour program in like uh, a year they'll have something turned because they'll use commercial yeast. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. But I think you get some similar flavor characteristics across brands because of sure. that. Sure. Um, so yeah. That's fascinating. So so you kind of have. Like in an urban environment, caught these artifacts of yeast. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm starting to see. Is that where the name comes from? Yeah, I, I always tell people that uh, the name has come to fit us better than we probably realized at the time. Huh. Because, you know, we bought a church within the city limits of Cincinnati and we put a brewery in it. Um, so we took, you know, an artifact. It's a 146 year old church. And an urban area, um, so it, it totally fits. That's cool. Yeah, yeah it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You um, that when I was first kind of doing the, the research for the pod, podcast, and I've had, I've drank a lot of your beer here, but I, I didn't didn't know that you were in a church. Yeah. Well, that was one of my um, first questions I was going to ask you. I mean, um, how, how did the community take that, um, or was there any pushback? Was there any? Kind of, oh, a brewery in a church, oh, in an old church. I mean, th- there's some, and especially here in the South, there's some stigmas, will be a stigmas around that. Has, um, have you well, have you dealt with that, or have you dealt with anything like that? or Not really. So in Cincinnati, there's a lot of churches that, you know, with parishes just kind of condensing, there's a lot of churches just sitting empty, especially. So we actually had... Anybody that was associated with the church come back and thanking us for taking over and basically keeping that property viable and standing and that history there. I mean, yes, it looks different inside to this day, but it's it's a registered historic building, so the outside remains essentially unchanged. We'll just you know do updates that are within that code, uh, but they're happy to see that piece of their their history remain and not get torn down or you know just become dilapidated to where it would be condemned so it's been really cool we've had people bring uh pictures of when they got baptized when they got married i mean it's just crazy crazy stories of seeing what that what that property looked like over the years it's it's really i mean i think just for space wise and 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 it would be (laughs) like a horse or churches and stuff would be good places for like the what is the tabernacle in atlanta which is a is it still open? I think so. Concert venue. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. the tabernacle. Yeah, mm-hmm. the tabernacle. So there's like some of these like, but sometimes you get pushback from communities and stuff where, 
especially in the South. I, did, I just was. I was. Just, I was. Don't we? The, don't we have a brewery coming into like a Southern Baptist church we, somewhere around we, here? The old Severe Heights building, yeah. And oh, and yeah. is there pushback against that? I, I've heard some rumblings of pushback from community members, but nothing. Well, nothing in the beer industry, though. Well, my my dad, who's who's Baptist, would um say what he well, he would always say, uh, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with those who do. <laughs> so <laughs> so I can imagine they're probably not too happy with it. <laughs> you failed on a. I fail. Two accounts? Yeah, <laughs> At know. least two, yeah. At least two, yeah. Yeah, I've not, I've not chewed anything. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, kind of, it's, it's real cool that people respect that, what you're doing with it. And and I, and I think when it comes to craft beer, I think people understand what craft beer is. And they're, you're, you're doing, you're doing an, a, like an art product. It's, it's a product that's based in like art and, and, and expression and, and quality. Yeah. You're not trying to do something that's just for – to – Turn a just turn the cheapest thing to turn a buck. Correct, correct. And I think it goes back to well, our just community outreach, and I think that's most craft breweries. You know, we we open our doors because we have such a big space to, you know, any and every community organization group that we can. You know, if somebody needs some space to hold a meeting or an event, you know, as long as as long as we can accommodate, we will, and that's you know helped out I think immensely having that open door policy. Yeah, I've I have um I've been making the argument for for probably over a year now that that's that's one of the big things that local craft breweries are doing is they're helping bring back and unify communities that would otherwise not exist. Mm-hmm. Um so that's that's cool to see that you all are definitely a part of that. Yeah. Most definitely reuniting the pub culture in yeah. in, in America. What I've I've I love pub culture and I mean I've probably talked about it on the podcast before but that's, I think that's the new pub culture is craft brewery. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah, you go away from like the 72 TVs and just hanging out with people, talking, have a conversation, and getting back to know people, I think, yeah. is what you're getting to. Yeah, that building of community and everything is really important. I'm going to drink all the pictures. You guys don't. Oh, hey, hey, <laughs> hey, now, hey, now. I'm going to chug this. You guys hurry up. Room. Jeez. That's, that's, the, that's the pail, right? That's the pail. Both is. sides. Both sides. On both sides. I, 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 like, I like that split it, it, picture. It's a black, the black and tan picture. I'm gonna have to look for that now. So, because so we do a lot of heavily fruited beers, mm. and our bartenders love mixing beers, mm. and they'll get customers mixing beers, which means like we'll get pictures on like Facebook groups of people doing different mixes. Uh, I had a buddy of mine lived up in Cleveland. He collected one can of every release since we started packaging, all small format, none of the barrel aged stuff. But he saved one of those. He bought like a five-gallon, like big dispenser. You know, like a um, I don't know, like a fuser. No, just like a like a big cooler. Just like you would put. Normally, people would put like lemonade or something or ice water. Um, just put like a little you know a little spigot on the end. Anyway, he poured all all those cans into that. Made a giant cuvee, and mm. people just drank that on the on the anniversary party. That's this year. awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of. I tried it and I was like, so we do a, I don't know if you guys are aware, we do a pickle beer. I, I, I had, I, 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 had well, guessed. I guessed by your shirt, but I've actually, I've, I've, I've tasted before. I okay. think, did, didn't we have it when we were in Murfreesboro, actually? We may have. There was, there was a pickle beer and I don't think it was the one they brewed or maybe it was, no? Oh, Anyways, no. whatever. It was no. at the Green Dragon in Murfreesboro. Oh, right on, right yeah. on. Yeah. So it's a flavor, though, that normally will take off, take over anything. Like I tried doing like a 12 tap cuvee when it was on tap. 
last year when it was out and dominated. But it, in that, like, whatever, 25, 26 can <coughs> cuvee, it didn't dominate. It was pretty good. I was like, huh. oh. did not expect that to be as tasty. Fantastic. Yeah. That is delicious. The, the fact that you mentioned the Bickle beer, yeah. let's actually get into the beers. Sure. We, we, we've, we've, talk, we, we've talked about the history and kind of got up to this point. Let's, yeah. Let's talk, like, so what's the flagships? What's some of the um, beers we should go for? And if you're in Cincinnati, maybe we can't get in Knoxville. Well, what can we expect in Knoxville? I just gave you seven questions in one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a it's a loaded question. Questions, yeah. but uh, gives me gives me plenty to go off of. So we're drinking one of the flagships, Finn Tart Pale Ale. That's a year round offering for us. Um, and you know, with with this our entry in the package and just our growth as a brand, we've really kind of still felt things out and tweaked our lineup. We're not afraid to take something and just can't not literally can it but just like figuratively get rid of it can it uh it's got yeah it's got a very different meaning right especially since we can our beers um <laughs> take something terrible and we just can it yeah and just can it right <laughs> and sell it everywhere uh but if things don't you know hit the mark exactly we need to move on you know we, we move on from it and replace it so anyway finn the tart pale ale we do rotating fruited gozas so uh right now it's key punch key lime season the next one coming out will be chariot which is a tart cherry goza um, mm. Postcard is a sour IPA. It's a fairly new entry to our lineup. Um, we've only sent some drafts to Knoxville so far, but as those tanks get up and running, that's when we'll start to see package of that come down as well. Um, and then we do what we've what we name Midwest fruit tarts. So we've got one on tap today, Gyroscope. It's a raspberry version, but what these are is they are very heavily fruited sour beers. Mm. So these are typically at least 2.5 to 3 pounds per gallon of fruit per to the beer, which ends up being like 30 or sorry, 3,000 pounds for a 30 barrel batch. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get that really rich, nice, decadent flavor and that acidity balances out. And there's nothing like real fruit in a beer when you compare it to like flavorings or extracts. So just want to point out there, too, then you're, you're also saying you use real fruit. You're not using an extract or something like that within your beers. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, that, that has led to its challenges, and, it, and it's definitely not cheap. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're always, we've always had the stance that beer should be accessible. And kind of the premise of us starting a brewery and doing the sour beers that we do is, is giving sour beer accessibility to people. Like, hey... You don't have to spend $20 on that bomber of Cascade to see if you like sour beer or not. Try a six-pack of this. If you like that in your beer, then maybe you go in, you buy a nice bottle of something, um, and, and kind of just grow and develop uh, palates that way. Yeah, yeah, because that, that could be hard with a lot of other, especially boutique, sour breweries is you buy them in the bomber. You have to commit to that larger packaging before you have the, the chance to really tell. So, yeah. And, and I think you've you've kind of like uh, almost had the same kind of premises as like really people that really do hoppy beers well. Mm-hmm. It's like um, like a lot of times you can get that entry level hoppy beer, like you can get that that beer that's what what, what 45, 50 IBUs or something. Like that's something that's gonna that's gonna you're gonna taste the hops. But then over here we sell the 
the the the, the dankest like hundred and something IBUs beers. So like for you and the sour, you can get you can get the both range. Exactly. Yeah. So you can get the something like this where it's this is this is like would be like the perfect like. Like brew fest is Saturday. I just want to keep drinking this all day. Yeah, yeah. I great. mean, just hang out at your brew fest tent and yeah. just <laughs> just true. chug this. So I mean, like you can drink that all day, and it's like it's 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 got the tart flavor, but it's refreshing. Mm-hmm. But also, if you want to do, you probably get something really a one-off high-end bottle that's probably gonna like make you like pucker, and it's it's gonna be like experience drinking it. Exactly. Yeah. And so, what one of the things that we do with our even our everyday portfolio is. We range the acidity level across the portfolio. So Finn is going to be the light, lightest in acidity, and then the gozas or the fruit tarts are going to be the most acidic. And then there's beers in between so that you know, people can kind of step into that if they're not accustomed to it. Even though some people, they jump right into the heavily fruited stuff, yeah. even though it's the most acidic, and that's what they pick up on. Yeah. Yeah, well, people like those fruity beers. They like drinking uh, I was, that um, stuff. I did the tour of... Uh, uh, New Belgium, okay, in 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 Col- in Colorado. Nice. I thought you were uh, going to say Belgium for a minute. Um, in Belgium, <laughs> yeah. 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 Fort Brewery, <laughs> and um, when, we, when, we, when we, they took this on the tour for, they we, we got we went to the the barrel and the sour that they have the barrel aged in the sour area of the brewery of the yeah. of the house, mm. and the the they were pouring us some stuff to taste and and the the. Um, uh, tour guide said, "When you, he goes with any beer in, in particular, but he goes both sours more so. Is it, it's the three sip test, and it's like you hit the sip once, and it's like it hits your system, and you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm, like it's tart. That's different. You hit just, you hit it again, and it dulls the flavor. Your kind of tongue gets used to it. And this third sip is whether you tell you if you can like it, like it or not." Yeah. If you're going to actually join the beer, now is that just something the guy came up with it, or what came up with it? Cool in the, um, uh, or is that do you think it's legitimate? Oh no, it's definitely legitimate. I was going to say it's like um, Simpsons did it in the sense that I thought we thought of that too independently, <laughs> uh, but obviously we're not the only ones, and I it's it's foolish to think that we would have been the only ones. Yeah. Um, but we we used to have to use that with customers all the time. Oh yeah. I mean, now nowadays, you know, some people, yeah, they're they're not as educated or crafty. Then then you might use that um, terminology, but the way sour beer and tart beers have progressed in the market, most people have a bit of an expectation, and they'll actually they'll give it a chance instead of like yeah. taking that one sip and like doing a spit take or just saying, oh, I don't like this, and giving it back to you or dumping it out. So no, I, it's it's totally legitimate. Yeah, and and to that just to that point, um, the reason I was shaking my head as DJ was asking that question is I've been to several different distillery tours, and typically you hear it when it comes to whiskey. That's a very common thing to do because the first hit of whiskey you're going to have is going to have probably a burning sensation, and then you're going to get that you know next little bit of flavor, and then finally on that last sip you're going to get that smoothness. So I think it's just anything you're tasting. Yeah, um, it's always a good thing to do when you're trying something new. Yeah, th- when you have like real f- intense flavors or sensations, something like that, for sure, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Like somebody said, somebody had once referred to a sour beer as uh, a complex. 
-hmm. beer because it's a layer of flavors. You got the tartness, and you and you like with, the, with this beer here, the um, uh, the pale. It's you got the, the traditional pale flavor. You got the tart flavor. It's it's flavor on layered on top of flavor. Yeah. So I think it it, it kind of takes the brain a minute to catch up with what you're actually yeah. processing and drinking. And while we're talking about it, too, I learned a while back, um, when you smell, smell with your mouth open because your tongue actually has, um, you know, your tongue does a lot to taste while you smell, and it actually does allow for, like, better airflow and stuff. So next time you're smelling a new beer, yeah. like, open up your mouth, anything, whiskey, beer, it, it makes a huge difference in what you're able to tell, especially for someone like me who always thought I had a bad sense of smell, and then I did it, and I was like, oh, gosh, I... <laughs> I did not know this. So this is um, the panels, one of your flagships. Um, what's the word? Are some of the other your flagships? Uh, the postcard, the sour IPA, and then the rotated fruit goza line. So between key limes, tart cherries, chocolate raspberry, which we actually have, we have a keg held on to that's uh, on tap tonight, and then uh, kumquats, which are basically like a tiny baby orange that doesn't have any pith. So it's the only citrus fruit that you actually eat the rind on. Uh, it's a beautiful fruit. If you ever see kumquats, I hmm. highly, highly recommend them. I've heard the word and always thought it was funny, but... Yeah, we, we get that. I've actually had like one or two accounts like refuse to buy it because of that word, but <laughs> I think it intrigues enough people that it's worth it at that's, the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really funny. Um, well, very cool, DJ. Any last any last thoughts? No, or questions? man. I mean, it's been it's, it's been uh, nice to catch up with the um, Urban Artifact and uh, just to learn about the brewery and excited for the stuff coming downtown and or coming in town. And excited oh, to what, come up and visit one day. Yeah, yeah. One one other question to that point: um, What is at the brewery right now that we we couldn't get here in Knoxville? What would you recommend? Yeah, so we we did send the keg a gyroscope, the raspberry Midwest fruit tart, um, but we still have cans of that which didn't make it to Knoxville. And then uh, Love Letter is a is a peach version, so. Mm. Um, it was. It's probably the last one that won't make it here for a little while, just given our, our scale up. But that just released yesterday, um, and it'll be there for roughly four weeks, depending on uh, you know how excited people get. Okay. So so with the, with our current pace of releasing, uh, you should be able to get it if you're listening to this <laughs> on your on your way to Cincinnati. Actually, yeah. we've been we've been we've been doing good. We've we've been doing a lot better. Yeah, so a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. That's awesome. So, well, I mean, uh, I guess... I mean, got one wrap, last question, right? Wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, what, what's in your beer fridge? What's in my beer fridge? Yeah. Man. Um, I love smoked beers. Okay? And to me, it's an underappreciated style, mostly because it gets... You should... Oh, sorry. I'm going yeah, inter yeah. interrupt you. The, yeah. uh, the smoked Saison, I believe, from um, um, uh, Hexagon at the, at the Brewfest. Oh, Okay. Try at, at the brew fest. Try that. Try the smoke stays on. I'll be looking for that. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, Max gonna kill me. Is it smoke Kolsch? Whatever. Oh look, my gosh. Look, look it up. He's smoke beer from Saison from from Hexagon. Hexagon. <laughs> Max gonna kill me. Yes, yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah. So Shrink uh, Shrinkerlaw, uh, the German brewery, they do the uh, smoke Maybach, but they also do a Hellas, uh, and the Hellas isn't actually doesn't have an actually smoke malt in it. But they don't clean their equipment. Like, they don't clean the mill out between beers. So it's actually really lightly smoked. You get that, like, 
smell on the nose of kind of like bacony, but otherwise it's a really clean, easy drinking Hellas Lager with just that little bit of smokiness. Mm. I love I love weird, funky beers. Um, so like um, you know, if if I could find the uh, uh, Leipziger, is that that's like the sour, sour, smoky, salty goza. Anyway. Sounds delicious. Yeah, just give the weirdest stuff. That's what you're going to find in my beer fridge. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, Scotty, thank you so much for joining us. I yeah, appreciate the time today, guys. Yeah. And um, I guess last question, last, last question. <laughs> where, where, can, um, where can people find you online? Where can people find Urban Artifact um, throughout, throughout the United States, for that matter? Yeah, I mean, online is Artifact Beer. Uh, and then as far as distribution right now, it's primarily just Ohio, Knoxville, a little bit in northern Kentucky. You know, we're going to work on servicing those markets before we expand outside of that. Um, but we attend some beer festivals around the country um, as well, too. And we occasionally sell some beer through Tavor, not trying to give a plug necessarily, but it is a nice way to buy some beer online that you can't normally get in your markets. That's cool. Yeah, nice. thank you. Awesome. Yeah, well, well thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah, and with that said, this has been Chris Hill. This is DJ Loop. And remember to stay humble. And try new beer. Way down in the bottom of a bottle, and I ain't gonna change my way.